And then there's some at the back middle table here. And this handsome guy, Rick, has uh, got some here if anybody needs one. Um, but yeah, we're going to be in Ephesians 3. And uh, I, I, I was on the phone with my, um, with my grandma, uh, Barbara, last, yesterday because uh, I wanted to tell a story from her life. And I wanted to make sure I got all the details right. So I just had the best phone call with her yesterday. Um, my, I don't know about you guys, maybe this is your experience too, but my grandma Barbara had a pretty rough upbringing. Um, her mother had died of cancer when she was very young. And so then her dad, that was just a, a really harsh turning point for him in his life. He became angry at God for taking his wife. He became a bitter man, um, a drinker, um, depressed, just and then this is the, the home environment that my grandma's growing up in as this little girl. And so from time to time, um, little Barbara, she'd get some space from her dad and she would go spend time in a more nurturing environment, just get a little break from dad. And so she'd go to her grandmother's home, um, her dad's mom, uh, which, and her, her home was just this humble little prairie cabin in the middle of Colorado. And so uh, her grandma Pence was this true pioneer woman um, she had a wood-burning stove uh, right in the middle, and that was, that's how things were heated. There was like a one single light bulb later on, not, not initially, but like later on when they got electricity. They had one light bulb in the center of the room, and that was like a big deal to click that on. But until then, uh, what heated the house was this uh, central uh, uh, kerosene heater. And, uh, but here's the, her grandma could, uh, could not only heat the house at this place, she could cook an entire meal with this stove and including these amazing biscuits, my grandma still members, remembers. And, um, and this was a really safe, nurturing environment for my grandma to just get a little respite, get a little break from her dad. And she just got to be with her grandma. And she, she remembers this one night, um, in her grandma's cabin she was you know, a little girl in this room off to the side. She's covered in all these quilts because it's a really cold night outside. She can hear the cedars swaying in the breeze and the coyotes. She, she, as she's telling me this, her, just her sensory memory of, of everything that was happening around her, she can, just, she can just go right back to that moment. And she let me know the little side room, it didn't have a door. So in the middle of the night, um, she could hear out in the, the main room a voice. And she wakes up and she listens and she's like, oh, it's my grandma's voice. And then she's like, well, what, what's she saying? What's she doing? And she kind of peeked around, and she could see that her grandma was wrapped up in a, in a blanket near the kerosene stove, and her grandma is praying. And uh, my grandma, when she was a little girl, this was a, this was a pre-Christian memory for her. Uh, she had never heard anybody pray before. Uh, she didn't fully understand what was happening. And then she realized, oh, my grandma, she's, she's calling out names of different family members, aunts, uncles, cousins. And then so as a little girl, she said she felt like it felt wrong to be listening in. She said it felt like almost like reading somebody else's diary. Like this is a really intimate moment. She's praying, but she's leaning in and she can't help but listen because she's wondering, she's saying all these different family members' names. Is she going to call out my name in prayer? And sure enough, she hears uh, the name of her dad and then she hears her name, Barbara, called out in prayer. And, and her her grandma is praying that generational chains would be broken, that people would be set free, that they would, ex they would come to know the Lord. And she, this, was the, this was her first memory of that, and uh, this was such a powerful uh, memory for her because it was the first time she'd ever heard somebody praying for her, and in prayer she was being brought before God by name. 
And this was just such a big deal for her. And what she still gets choked up when she remembers this. Um, this, was, this was, she would say, like lay, laying the foundation for the, the point later on when, when her life would pivot towards God. But it started with her grandma praying that the resources of heaven would be made available to her. And what she wanted me to tell you is, is to remember that you, you might be that person for somebody else. There, there might be people in your life that they have never known what it's like to have somebody pray for them by name. And maybe you're going to be that person for them to, to call out their name specifically and their needs and call down the resources of heaven for them. And she, she wanted you to know like this, this, is, this was so powerful for her and it could be so powerful for somebody in your life um, to know, oh yeah, this person, my, my friend, they're, they're praying for me by name. Um, she, she, she just wanted you to know, don't underestimate the power that that could have in somebody's life. And today we're going to hear the Apostle Paul pray for us. And there is so much uh, emotional depth and extravagance to this prayer. Um, Paul says, I kneel before the Father. So as you, as you picture him praying, this is how we're supposed to picture him, kneeling on our behalf. And so let's listen in as Paul kneels before the Father and he prays for us. It's Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. David Crump puts it so well when he says, Paul asks for nothing in moderation. He, his prayers are marked by this blatant extravagance. Paul prays Yahweh's blatant extravagance over me and over you. And if you're taking notes, um, make space for three things that Paul prays for us. Uh, he prays God's power for us. He prays God's love and God's presence. And we'll talk about those things. God's power, God's love, and God's presence. These are not things that we can bring to ourselves. These are gifts. And the only way to experience these gifts is to just put ourselves in a posture to receive it. We, we cannot make these things happen for ourselves. We can only receive. And so if you would, would you just, to help picture this, form, form your hands into a cup. Today, let's, let's let this be our posture before God. Let's wait for God to answer Paul's prayer for us. Let's not try to fill ourselves. Let's not try to make this happen for ourselves. Let's not try to give this to ourselves. Let's remain empty so that God can do the one who's doing the filling, that God can do the one who gives us this gift. So let's let this be our posture all morning long. What if today God answered Paul's gigantic prayer for us? So I want to pray before I go any further because this is, this is huge and I can't make this happen for myself or for you. And so Yahweh, um, I submit all my capacities to you today. Um, Jesus, great preacher, 
uh, preach through me. And Spirit of Yahweh, um, be strong in my weakness and connect the dots where I can't. But please, God, make Paul's prayer come true in our lives. Amen. All right, let me hear you say, so that. Paul prays for the power of God's Holy Spirit, so that. So that Christ would dwell in your hearts. Now, here's the thing. For those of us who are Christ followers, Christ has already come to live in our hearts. He's he's already done that. That's what makes us Christians. Christ in ones is another way to describe what what a Christian is, somebody who Christ is in them. They are in Christ. That's what Jesus promised us before he went to the cross. He said, I in you and you in me. So Paul's not praying for something that hasn't been done. Paul is praying that this indwelling might be all that Jesus wants it to be, that Christ might completely dwell in our hearts. If you picture yourself as a house, imagine that maybe Christ is in the living room, maybe he's welcome in the kitchen, but what about that attic? What about that crawl space? What about that closet over there? What about this room? Have, has Christ completely moved in to the house that is me? The, the heart is the control center of our very personhood. And so Paul is praying that Yahweh would make his home completely in the home that is us, at the control center of our personhood. Um, The word for dwell that Paul uses, it's oikeo. Try saying that, oikeo. And just say it fast and with authority and nobody will question it, oikeo. So um, it's related to oikos, which uh, means home. Um, When it's a verb, it means to dwell, to live in a home. And you can tag some prepositions onto the word, and it creates different meanings. So like if you can tag the preposition para, let me hear you say para. Para means beside or alongside. So combine that, and and then para oikeo, it means to dwell alongside, like a visitor, like a guest. So this is like when we stay at a hotel or a motel. It's it's a nice place, you know, it's great, but it's temporary. You're there as a guest, you're there there on a short-term basis. So... Are there any weirdos in here that you actually fully unpack and put all the stuff in the, in the, in the drawers in the closet? Come on, identify yourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, no, I'm, I'm, I don't care if I'm here for eight hours, 24 hours, whatever. I'm, I'm moving in for a while. I love you guys. That's great. So, um, I, but it's so weird. So, um, I just, it's just like, why, why bother? You know you're leaving soon. Um, but then there's kata. Let me hear you say kata. So, kata oikeo. Uh, means, it's, a kata means down. So combining it with oikeo means to dwell down, to settle down. It's the idea is like to put down a foundation, put down roots, move in as a permanent resident. This is not a hotel, motel situation. It's like the rooted in Oakland slogan. The idea is that's how the Oakland A's are saying, guys, we're here to stay. Like, I know that the Warriors and the Raiders, I know they were para, but not us. We are kata. Okay, that's, that's, that's their way of saying we're, we're here to stay. And, and here's the thing, Paul doesn't pray para oikeo for us. He prays kata oikeo. He's saying, God, invigorate them with your spirit's power so that Christ can kata oikeo, to live not as a visitor, not as a short-term guest, but as permanent resident in them, as master of the house in their hearts. Christians, uh, we, we talk about um, receiving Christ into our hearts. We use that language. You maybe have heard that before. Or at Christmas time, we might sing, let every heart prepare him room. That's the idea here. But, but um, we've got to understand 
kata oikeo, or to dwell, we've got to understand that in its Middle Eastern context. Um, to, in the Middle East, to receive somebody into your home is to receive them as they are the guest, but as the guest, they are master of the home. And, and I don't know if you, have you ever experienced hospitality from a Middle Eastern person before? Yeah, it's, um, it's a little jarring if you've never experienced this before, when you start to realize that the moment you stepped into their home, that everything in their home now revolves around you. It's, it's the weirdest thing. You're the honored guest, but more than that, you're like the master of the house. And it, it, feels, it can feel a little wrong. You're like, no, I, I'm sorry, no, we don't, that's not how we do things in my house, but you're in their house, and that's how it works. And everything in their home can shift around the tiniest request from you, where you want to be like, oh, no, 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 it's no trouble, it's no trouble. And they're like, and, and they're just going to do everything. Even if there was just the hint of the possibility of a request, they're just trying to pick up on everything and just meet your needs and just make stuff happen for you. And that's why Paul has to pray God's power for us, because Christ is not a temporary hotel situation guest in our lives. What Paul is praying for us is that Christ would have the rightful place in our lives, not as a guest, but as master of the house, which means that everything is now going to need to be altered, moved, remodeled around Jesus, who is making himself completely at home inside of us. That's no small adjustment. Would you agree? So then Paul, Paul prays, he knows that we need power for something else as well. He wants us to be able to have the ability to comprehend God's great love for us. Let's read this together. Read this with me. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Yeah, wow. Exactly. Second only to the prayers of Jesus in John 17, I think this is probably the boldest prayer that anybody has ever prayed. Paul prays that Jesus would move in as a permanent resident, but there's more permanence to this. As Jesus moves into the house that is us, the house gains a new foundation. We are being rooted and established in this great love that Jesus has for us. He, he moves in, but he also gives the house a new foundation. I want to tell you something important. Are you listening? <laughs> Are you listening now? All right. Paul, Paul, is, Paul is not telling us, become rooted and grounded in this love, as if it's something that hasn't yet happened. He's not saying, go do this or become this. He's practically yelling to us, you are rooted and established in God's love. Paul prays that we would have power to comprehend the reality of God's love, regardless of what we see, regardless of what we think, regardless of what we feel. He wants us to know this is how it is, and I want to, I want, I'm praying that God would give you the ability to, to take it in, to comprehend it, to see it. Um, this word comprehend, it can mean to catch or to grasp or to lay hold of. Um, the same word is used in the beginning of John's gospel, John 1, 5, where he says, Jesus, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend or catch or grasp or lay hold of the light. Same word. 
Paul's praying that we could comprehend, grasp, catch, lay hold of the width and the length and the height and the depth of Jesus' great love for us. When we start to grasp the width of Jesus' love, we see that this love is all-embracing. It goes out to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. You, you might even be able to think back on your own story, the width of how far Jesus reached out for you when he reached out where I was not too far from him. When we start to comprehend the length of God's love and just how far it goes, we remember the lengths that God went to so that he would be ours and we could be his. In Jesus, on the cross, even the length of his arms, stretching out his arms, we see the lengths that God would go to so that, we would, that nobody would be beyond the reach of his love. And when we start to, to grasp and comprehend the height and the depth of God's love for us, we, we lift our eyes to the highest heavens where God is reigning as king, and then we remember that our king came down, all the way down, into our sin, into our death, into our sin sickness, into our brokenness. He came all the way down so that we could be his and he could be ours. Paul prays, give them power to take hold of this love that's taken hold of them. Now again, um, hold your hand out like an empty cup. This prayer, this prayer is not a to-do list. This is not something for you and I to check off our list today or this week. We can't do it. There's, this is impossible for you and I to do for ourselves. These are gifts to receive. Paul knows that we've got all kinds of walls and barriers and blockages that are keeping us from knowing God's love. He knows you, and he knows what's standing in the way. And so Paul prays that we'd have the ability to comprehend because there's, there's things in the way. Some of us, we've, we've got trauma in our childhood that blocks our ability to receive love. And it's, 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 we can't like think our way past that or feel our way past that. We just go, God, I, I really want to receive this, but it's, this is just hard for me, God. There's a wall. I feel it, and I, I'm not experiencing the same thing that other people seem to be experiencing. Would you help me through that? Some of, some of us have messages playing in our minds telling us that we're unworthy of this environment you were in, messages that say, yeah, I remember this, though, from the past. Remember that thing you did? Remember that environment you were in? Remember those people that you were with? And these messages are playing in our head telling us who we are or who we're not. And we can't unplay those messages. And we're like, God, you, got, you have to get in there. You have to give me new messages. You've got to replace the old tapes with new ones. I can't do that for myself. Some of us have done things that we can't forget, and we feel disqualified to, to, take, to take part in this thing, where we, we hear what Paul's praying for us, and you go, yeah, but there's a, there's a list of things that I'm, I'm bringing to this relationship, all these reasons why I would not be qualified for this. Some of us right now are facing some really tough circumstances that cause us to, 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 bring, to, to question Yahweh's love for us, to go, God, really? You would allow this? This is what's going on right now? And it causes us to question that love. So that's why Paul prays, Father, make them strong enough so that, that through your love breaking through all of that, they could overcome all those obstacles and lies and confusion, anything that's standing in the way so that they could lay hold of the full dimensions of your love for them. This is not something we can do for ourselves. This is only something that is prayed over us, and like an empty cup, we go, okay, God, I want that. 
I can't do it for myself, but I want it. And then Paul prays something that completely blows the circuit board. He prays that you, it's y'all, Liz, it's y'all, y'all, that y'all might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This word filled up means completely filled up. Picture a glass that you've poured all the way to the rim and then there's that water tension and there's no more room. It means completely filled up to the brim, the fullest capacity. And what are we completely filled with? All the fullness of Yahweh. Now, this is important. Um, in, in our culture, uh, you might see this on social media and people's conversations or things they slap on the back of their car as a bumper sticker or whatever. It's, it's, um, it's popular to, sh- to show self-love by um, honoring the divine within or worshiping your inner goddess. You'll hear friends or neighbors or people talk like that. And it's kind of like uh, a, a way for us to get a self-esteem boost or whatever. But that's not how Christians think. Paul is not praying that as a result of this filling with Yahweh that we would become God. That's not the prayer. Paul is praying that as a result of this filling, we would become godly. When you fill a glass with water, the glass does not become water. When, when you fill up a balloon with helium, the balloon doesn't become helium. And when you fill a human being with Yahweh, the human being does not become Yahweh. When Yahweh fills us, we don't become God. We become fully human. We become everything God had always meant for us to be. It's like in the very beginning, if you know the story, Yahweh forms a human being from the dust of the ground, and then he breathes his life-giving spirit into that dust, and it be- the dust becomes alive. The dust becomes animated, full of life, full of the very life of God. And it's the same with us. When Yahweh fills us with all that Yahweh is, we are finally human fully human. This prayer is giving you and me a gigantic compliment. Humans were made in such a way that the only thing that finally fills us, the only thing that finally fulfills us is the very presence of God. Again, cup your hands. Power to make room for Jesus as a permanent resident. Power to grasp the greatness of Yahweh's love for us, and the gift of God's presence to fill us completely, we cannot make this happen for ourselves. There's nothing here for us to do except receive. To say, yes, God, that prayer sounds great. Amen. Bring it on. Take a pause and just, um, just consider where you're at in your own spiritual journey. Where, where are you at? What where, what are the questions? What are the obstacles? Where, does, where has God brought you? Where has God seemed like he's taking you? Where are you at right now? You, maybe you're even trying to wonder, like, is there a God? If there is, what, what is this God like? Does this God have a name? What's his, his or her or its character? Do any of these prayers speak to something that your soul has been craving? Something that your soul has been wanting to... To, be, to, to welcome God fully into the home that is you, to, to experience a, a love that's higher and wider and deeper than you could ever possibly wrap your brain around, to, to experience God's life and, and, and fullness. 
Has it been the case that for some, now, some time now, you've been experiencing kind of like a holy discontentment, just something under, under, the, under the surface that just like a splinter in your mind that you just can't, you can't shake it? Um, maybe, the word, maybe the word spiritual loneliness could describe what things have been like lately. It's, um, it's when our life in God is kind of plateaued. You know, there's, there's, there's high moments and there's low moments, but then there's times where you're just in the flatlands. But something, but something in us keeps, keeps thirsting, keeps longing, keeps desiring, keeps, keeps holding out hope that maybe, God, you've got something more for me, maybe. Maybe this sense, like, God, I, I feel like you want to take me further, deeper into friendship with you, but I, I can't seem to break through. Um, Maybe there's a connect. Maybe maybe you've seen in and with him that you've never known but you've wanted. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe maybe you've seen it in other people. Maybe you've read about it and you're like, that sounds nice. Could I maybe step into that? Could I have some of that? There is there is fruit of Yahweh's spirit that is still needing to, to take root and flourish in our lives that hasn't grown in us yet. There, there is victory over sin that we have not yet experienced yet. There is a life and a joy and a freshness and a vitality that we're wanting that hasn't come to us yet. But if it's you, you're, you're kind of you're getting tired of living off your own steam. You're just like, I know how to do the living off my own steam thing. I've, I've been doing that for a long time. And I'm just hoping, God, maybe you have something more. Maybe you have something different. Maybe there's a different way to be human. Jesus himself encourages us to ask for this. This is what he says in Luke 11. He says, so, so I, I say to you, ask, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everybody who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open." Now, a lot of us know that part. A lot of us, that's like on a refrigerator magnet or something. We're familiar with that part. But it's quoted out of context or the quote stops there. And so we don't actually know what exactly Jesus is telling us to ask for. We just think, like, ask for anything. He, he has more to say. He says this immediately after. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, you're going to give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's what we're asking for. That's what we're seeking. That's what we're knocking on the door for. But only recently has this last part about fathers and, and weird food uh, alternatives, uh, has, has that made any sense to me? Um, I don't set an alarm these days. Because every morning, um, sometime between 5.45 and 6.15 a.m., I hear the door of our boy's bedroom creak open. And then uh, a few seconds later, I'll hear the sound of little feet on the hardwood floor. And then this little face will show up right alongside the bed in the dark. And I'll hear, Daddy, ache up! And lately, David has been taking my glasses off the nightstand and handing them to me like, hey, I've got some stuff I need you to do, and you, I know you're going to need these, so you don't want to put them on. And I'm like, thank, thank you, thank you, yes. And um, we'll go into the living room, and I'll hear, Daddy, I want toast. And so do I make him green beans? No, I make him, I make him toast. Do I pour David a glass of vinegar? No, I get him, I get him water. Then I hear, Daddy... 
I want Star Wars. And I try not to cry because it's just everything in my dad heart that I've always wanted but didn't want to manipulate him into. But really, you want to watch Star Wars? Okay. And I will pull David into my lap and we'll watch A New Hope or Rogue One and we'll just ease into the morning and it's, it's beautiful. But Jesus says, you fathers, when your children ask you for food, you get them what they need. You get them specifically what they're asking for. You fathers, this part's crazy, even though you're evil... My translation should say, even though you're groggy and grumpy and would have loved 30 more minutes to yourself in your own bed, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more, Jesus says, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is asking us to take whatever broken or fleeting picture we have of fatherhood and to say, just even in, just in the most evil sense, a dad who would at least just get you an egg if you asked for an egg, just grabbing onto that, just that tiny fleeting image, Jesus wants us to know how much more do I want to give you this picture of what your father's like and what he's prepared to do for you. I love my son, but I'm an imperfect dad. I, I'm doing my best, but you know, I've got my limits. I get impatient, I get selfish, I get grumpy, I forget that he's three and he's going to do things in a three-year-old way. But even though I am evil, David's never going to go hungry on my watch. Never. Why? Because I love him. How much more, Jesus says, when it comes to our Heavenly Father? How much more do we have a dad who loves us perfectly? And our Father isn't going to dangle the Holy Spirit in front of us and then deny us. Jesus says the Father does not give snakes and scorpions. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask my dad, Jesus says. He knows what you need, and he's waiting to give it to the ones who ask him. Now, these days, we're all a little older than David, and we're a little more sophisticated with our desires, and we don't ask. We don't ask for what we need because now we're adults, and apparently we're supposed to take care of everything ourselves, right? And so when we recognize our brokenness or we're rejected by somebody, or we're in a place of deep loneliness or emptiness, there is a temptation to keep it to ourselves, to keep it under wraps, or just like deal with it on our own, or distract ourselves from what's going on, and just pretend like it's not a big deal. That we've used, that we've just a sophisticated shield. It's, it's, just, it's just a bunch of techniques that we've used, that we've found and figured out as ways to protect ourselves from being disappointed because we've been disappointed but jesus says if you want in on what god's doing you have to become like little children in another place he'll say you have to be born again you've got to put yourself in the place of a kid kids are persistent they ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask jesus says be like that expect that you have a good dad who is waiting to give you what your soul is asking for. Resist the temptation to satisfy your own soul. Let's cup our hands one last time. Let this be our posture before God. Do your best to remain an empty cup so that you can be filled by God.